I don't know what it is about that music. It makes me feel like I need to get my samurai sword ready. <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> Going on a new shirt today, Grace Wins. This is actually uh, one of the things we sponsor around here, Lighthouse for Life. They've got a uh, meeting here tomorrow night at 7. Uh, Jen Thompson uh, is one of the folks that leads that. We've got a variety of folks here that participate that in, in that. And it's, it's this uh, ministry that really battles for battered women, for, for ladies that have been really been brought in by evil people that uh, push them towards sex trade, etc. So it's, it's a great ministry. If you uh, would like to check it out tomorrow night, they're actually hosting something here at 7 o'clock. Come on, my wife and I will be here. Um, so I'm, I'm the billboard for the day. And evidently, she thought I was skinnier than I am because this joke was tight. All right, anyways. <laughs> I told Chris it was extra large. It's hard to hold me in here, really, but uh, <laughs> let me pray. Jesus. Uh, thank you for your word, and uh, I trust that you'll deliver it today, that it will uh, make sense, uh, not, just, not just on the level that we understand it intellectually, but that you would drive it down into our hearts. And for some of us, we'd even move on what it says today. You've been good to our church um, through the years. You've been chasing us, and, and we, we pray that you would continue. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, uh, we read Genesis chapter 1, so let me read, you, read it to you again. One little phrase, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. Remember this last week? If you want to be smart when you go to work today, it's the imago Dei. It's, it's a Latin word that means in the image of God. For those of us that are set up a little bit more like me, I said the I-O-G, you remember. And somebody actually uh, sent a picture with I-O-G written on their arm to remind them that they're made in God's image. If you are a young child, please do not put a tattoo or write this on. I'm not responsible, all right? But, but there is this, this element where right from the Scripture, we get the idea that we are made in God's image. And that, if anything, makes us important to this world is that we were made in God's image. And then it says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Who knew that by 2016, that little phrase, male and female, he created them, would be so provocative, right? Most of the history of the world, people probably didn't even read that because I was just like common sense. But today, I read that phrase, and it is loaded. It's the conversation that's happening on the front pages of newspapers and in our schools and at our workplaces, and certainly it has to do with our bathrooms, right? It is just Loaded, were we originally created male and female? It was a story at the dinner table the other night. The kids were talking. I got a couple smart kids at the house. We got, you know, the, can you call your kids dumb? The, the less intelligent ones out of the house. So the younger two pretty smart. They read all kind of stuff. And Cheryl re reads a bunch of stuff. So they started talking about this Danish fairy tale written in 1837. And it, it, obviously I've read it, right? But anyway, it, it's... It's, it's called The Emperor's New Clothes. Anybody, anybody ever heard this? It's like a fairy tale by Hans Christian Andersen. Okay, all right. I'm sorry. I'm going to let y'all. I never heard of that thing. But they were, they were talking about it the other night, and it's a story about uh, an emperor who was very vain. He loved his clothes. And so he had some swindlers come to town, and they wanted to sell him the best clothes in the world. Their description was they told him that they made, they had this cloth that you could only see if you were fit for your position and you were not stupid. You could, you could only see it if you're, you were bright and could understand. So when they brought in the cloth, obviously the emperor can't 
see it. It would be like me trying to sell you a beachfront property in Nebraska, right? I mean, it's just, it's a swindle. They're trying to get over on him. And so he has them make him some clothes. A couple of his assistants, he sends his best two assistants to go see it, but they've heard the definition and they don't want to be stupid and unfit for their job. So they, they come back and they tell him, yeah, the clothes look awesome, King. All right. So he, he comes and he, he puts on the clothes and he goes into the parade of the local town. The townspeople have all heard about it. So they're assuming that these clothes that the king are wearing are, are beautiful and only the smart people and the fit people for their position are going to be able to see them. So they want to come and see which one of their neighbors is stupid because they're not going to be able to see the clothes. So the king comes through the town. He's marching. The townspeople are going wild about how he looks, which strokes the king because he really cares about how he looks. And he makes his way all the way down the street. And a little eight-year-old boy comes up to him and says, the king has no clothes on. If he's from Lexington, he'd say, the emperor's butt naked, right? <laughs> the king, it says, the people start whispering one to another that they're green with the little boy that finally made a common sense statement. Everybody's like, the king's got no clothes. The emperor's got no clothes. And finally, the king, it says, heard the people whispering that he has no clothes, and he thought that what they said might be true. But he still walked all the way down the street, butt naked, and went back with his head held high, Back to the castle, just in case you, these were actually... He'd been swindled. He, he wasn't wearing anything. They're telling me the story at the dinner table, and the first thing I thought of as they're telling me is public restrooms. Public restrooms. Target. <laughs> like the little boy in Ethiopia that's eight years old can figure this thing out. He didn't have any clothes on. This conversation has grown in our country, and it's, it's off the chain. That's why it gets so quiet in here. Everybody's nervous that I'm going to talk about it. Facebook has 72 options when it asks what your gender is. Male, female, male, identifying as a female, female, identifying as a male. That's four, but it just goes on and on and on. This thing is off the chain, out of control, gaining momentum as we speak. I, uh, I've, I've been able to listen and read a variety of articles this week. Uh, one of them was given to me by Dr. Lyles, a CD. I can, I can pass along this. Uh, if you want it, I can get it to you via the Internet. It's, uh, it's great discussion by some psychiatrists, and they actually they talk about the whole transgender momentum and actually, one of the psychiatrists, he compares it to anorexia. So one of the things he really wanted us to hear is, like, this is a legit battle for folks. And as I listened, it, he, he compared it because it's this coping skill that folks really wrestle with. So there's some pain and deep wrestling that goes on. So for those of us that know Jesus, to have some patience and, and help folks work through it. In the 50s, this was not even on the radar. By the 60s, there was this... There was a little, little momentum to the transgender movement. By, by that time, you got MASH. Y'all my age saw MASH back in the day. I hated MASH. I don't know why, but, but they always had this one dude. What was his name? He wore ladies' clothes all the time. Clinger. Clinger. Clinger runs around, and, and that was just kind of the beginning. It was funny. You thought he was weird, but it was funny. And then through the years, this thing continues to grow to the point where Target opens up their restrooms. North Carolina made a law about it, and what's happened? Basketball teams won't go there to play. Boy, 
boycotting the state because of their law. It's this crazy thing that's going on in our nation. And I, I truly, truly believe the enemy is just out to confuse the very creation of folks made in God's image. He's trying to tear apart our foundations from its very moorings. So naturally he attacks the idea that you might have been created male or that you might have been created female. There's something in us that is so arrogant all the way back to Adam and Eve. So please do not sit here and feel arrogant because you're like, oh, I got this all figured out. Uh, Eve had a little problem. The enemy deceived her and made her think that she could be God, that God was holding out on her, that she could be the authority and make all the decisions. And I don't know if you know how Genesis plays out. It just doesn't play out that well for Eve and me as her great, great, infinite grandson, right? It continues to bear bad fruit, that, that decision where man thinks they're in control of their own destiny and wants to come out from under authority and be the authority. And that's really, this is just another way to say that, right? Is that I could choose my gender. It puts me in control. Man, the stats based on the CD I listed, listened to are just devastating, particularly for those who have gone through reassignment surgery just devastating. The number of suicide attempts, the number of suicides, the, just the train wreck of life that happens for folks going through this struggle. So how's the church to respond to the momentum it's gathering? Well, I have to, I can't just agree. I can't because I believe this is the authority and I'm reading this. So I place myself under this authority. So I have to tell the truth. But the question that I really want to challenge you on, because a lot of you in this room are real comfortable with me telling this truth, and maybe a few of you are not, but what's your tone like? You know what I'm talking about? What's your tone like? Like you might agree with, with me that man was created as male and female, but what's your tone like when you get to the truth and you, you communicate it to people in your radio? Because that tone has got to be metered. There, there's a place to tell the truth. And, and quite honestly, it might be a reason I get locked up one day, right? Because some folks will say because they want not only the law to agree, for example, with same-sex marriage, but they want me to say that God agrees based on his word, which I can't do. I've read it and read it. When, if I wanted to do it, I can't do it. I can't say that God, I can't say it, he doesn't say it, but for some reason we really, when we struggle, we all want God to agree with our brokenness or our sin because somehow that gets us off the hook. And so here we sit, 2016, with our kids wrestling with stuff nobody in the history of the world has ever had to wrestle with particularly those pre-adolescent, when you're naturally curious and the confusion is just multiplying exponentially as the variety of information's out there. Let me just tell you, the science of it 
is when you, I can give you some of the information. I actually got this great article by some guys uh, that actually go to, they don't go to John Hopkins. They are on staff at John Hopkins. They're a psychiatrist. And, and the stats that, that some Swedish guys have collected through the years are just devastating what this is doing to people. So scientifically, we can make a little argument. Biblically, we can make a really strong argument. But what do I do when I'm down at the coffee shop in West Columbia and this transgender guy comes and serves me my meal? What am I supposed to do as a follower of Jesus? It's easy. I'm gracious. He's made in God's image. I met Jason Autry uh, down, downtown the other day, our West Columbia church planner, and this young guy waited on us, and, and it was just like, what was so cool is both Jason and I went out of our way to go the extra mile to connect with him because the people of Jesus are the best at dealing with people that are broken. What do I got to be scared of? What do I got to run away from? I know the Creator. I actually claim that He loved me enough to die for my brokenness and my sin. Why wouldn't I extend that to this guy? So the truth belongs in certain environments. But then, as a follower of Jesus, I have the opportunity to represent him with great grace and compassion. I believe the enemy is just on this death march to confuse us, to take our eyes off Jesus, so much so that, that the little boy in Ethiopia looks at us as if we're foolish and we look at him as if he's foolish because of some of the voodoo he believes in. Equally foolish. All in the effort for the enemy to take down mankind. He started this march in Genesis chapter 3, and he has continued. He is an incredible warrior. He wants to steal the life right out of us. You can feel what a big deal this is by how quiet it gets every time I talk about it. How did we get here? I'm going to propose we got here because men are passive. So it's going to be a bad day for the dudes in the room. That's one of the cool things about Rage. Like every other Sunday is a bad day for the dudes in the room. Because <laughs> that's what we do. It's why a bunch of dudes come here. That's why this church, one of the really coolest things about this church is how many guys are in the room. We, ladies, obviously, we love you being here. Next week, I'm going to get y'all because we're going to get a female, so you're going to get yours. But, but, but one of the really cool things, we shoot straight with guys. I used to, when I disciplined Mariah, I had to put like seven paragraphs on it so she'd feel good about the whole thing. The boys just like, give me a sentence and whip my tail. All right, just let's get it over with. Let's get, and guys are like that. And one of the things, I, the reason I think we grow that way, why men come to this church, because they want to hear the truth. They want to hear it straight up. And let me give a couple of rules, lady. Don't elbow them in the process. Are they listening? You elbow them, that's just over the top. And, and please, please, don't do this. <sighs> we all know what that means, right? Like, like you're trying to tell everybody in your vicinity, that's him, that's him. That don't work. That just makes me not want to do it, all right? So just so you understand how we work, take it easy. Passive dudes. There's some theologians, they like to make bigger words. They call it passivity, which just gives it more syllables, says the same thing. I was driving to a funeral yesterday. Uh, I got in my car. Uh, it was on 97.5 Country Music, and they were doing the top 30 countdown, so I started listening. Some, some dude, I can't remember, Bobby Bones or something like that is talking on there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's so funny. Anyway, uh, he's on number 11, and number 11 is Rock On. 
I don't know if you heard this song, it's Rock On, and this, this cat singing, and he talks about how he wants this girl to rock on, and he wasn't willing to put a rock on, and, I, I, and he's going through this whole list of like, she needs to rock on, because he can't commit, because he's a loser, all right? The whole song is about being a loser. Why would you sing about your weakness like that? Number 10, holy, holy, holy. He's worshiping a girl. Like the lines are holy, holy, holy. He goes through this whole worship ceremony he has for the girl. And I'm going, if this rascal came and asked my daughter out, he would have to hit the road because I don't want anybody has to worship her because he's got no life. I need a guy who's got a job and can do something more than play Xbox. I need a guy who actually has something for her to go to, not for her to come fix his mess. That's what we're advertising as like. Proud of it. Putting it on number 10. Number nine, SOB Sober. You heard this song? He names the way his wife, girlfriend, mama, some woman in his wife uses words in the way he uses it because he don't want to be sober, right? He don't want to be a man and take responsibility. So he's crying and whining because she's holding him accountable. <laughs> Idiot. Like, it's just this weak-minded and you're just going, this is, I'm listening. To, I'm like, I'm a country music guy. I thought we were the tough guys of music. And here we go, one, two, three, all losers. <laughs> Number eight, come to me and I'll give you your fix. Well, I'm just going to beat your tail. That's all there is to it. <laughs> I mean, image of God, I can't kill you, right? But <laughs> bruising will be all right. Finally, number seven, head over boots. I'm like, oh, finally, some dude actually values a woman, and he tells her that he's head over his boots, which I guess that's the country way of saying I'm deeply in love. Number six, I don't even want to know another. I'm like, here we go. There we go. That's Genesis. Like, one woman, he's in love with one woman. He's going to finish number six. Number three, finally, we have a female singer at number three, 11 all the way up through the majority of them depressing there's a young lady, and she sings this song. You've heard it called Peter Pan. Have you heard this song? I heard my kids humming this song the other day. And I'm like, man, we're going to erase that from your memory. <laughs> You're just a lost boy. <laughs> Somebody sings a long song about me and calls me a boy. You're just a lost boy. Poor thing. With your head in the clouds, you're just a lost boy. Never keep your feet on the ground. You sad little soul, 35-year-old. <laughs> you're always going to fly away just because you know you can. You're never going to learn there's no such thing as Neverland. You're still living in the fairy tale. You don't understand. You'll never grow up. You're never going to be a man. <laughs> what? And we're singing about some dude in her life. That's his story. And I'm going, man, my son's been humming this song. We ain't, we ain't doing that. Like, we can sing it as like a mantra of what we're not going to be, but we can't sing it as something. There's no pride. It's unbelievable. And we wonder why. Like, all of a sudden, people want to get mad at the government and start writing stuff on the Internet so they don't actually have to talk to anybody. How about being a man and leading something? Have a little vision for your family. Instead of running away every time a bullet gets shot. Tony Evans, one of my favorites, he talks about the hobbies of young men and the things that get caught up. He says, these things rule over him because he has lost sight of his own spiritual authority. Rather than being the head, he has become the tail, being wagged every which way 
by life's storms. We got to get some guys that don't whine about their job or their boss or the school system or the government and do something. We got to get some guys that would keep their wife from going to the school and whining about education. Every administrator, I'm getting a, a, a bonus after this from all the administrators in the room. Why? I mean, we got to get some people that are actually accountable for their own children instead of blaming a youth minister for what he did. We got to get some dudes that are locked in and getting it done. Let's just read a little bit from the scriptures. It was designed for us. That's what I hate about this whole gender thing. They're trying to steal from us, dudes. They're trying to steal from us how we were designed. All right, before I get carried away, chapter 2, verse 4. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth, for the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Throw that word cultivate back in your mind. Instead, springs came up from the ground, and they watered the land, and the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and man became a living person. It's this really cool picture of God taking dirt and making us. So there's a little humility in this, right? There's a little humility. God made me out of dirt. If there's anybody, the darker people in the room, you got to love. This is the Garden of Eden. It obviously wasn't sand that he made it out of, which would assume this guy, we must, I must have got pale. It's probably some dark soil, and God pulls up this dark soil, and he makes a man. It's a really cool picture. All you got to do is breathe in, and you can remember that you were made in God's image. He breathed life into you and me. He didn't do that for the giraffe. He breathed life into me. So God made me in his image. He made me out of the dirt of the ground. He breathed life into me. It's this great picture of God giving us life. And then he gives us responsibility. You read a few verses, and we'll just skip down to verse 15. And the Lord placed a man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. The New American Standard, we read out of the NLT a lot of times here. The New American Standard actually says that the Lord put him in the garden to cultivate and to watch over the garden. Cultivate and to keep it. So you have this picture of God taking Adam. He creates him. He breathes life into him, and he, like, taps him. He gives him the baton and says, lead this thing for me. He takes a man. He puts him in the garden. He says, cultivate this thing. Every man in the building, I want you to ask this question. Are the things around you thriving people, the people in your home, are they thriving? The people around your cubicle at work, is that like the best little circle radius there is on your job? Because there's this anticipation that God would take his image bearer and drop them into society and stuff around them would thrive because they would cultivate it. There's this secondary thing in there that actually gives an idea that, that, that men were just made to work. All right, we'll talk about ladies next week, but they're made to work because very quickly Eve comes on the scene and they work the garden together. But you, we were made to work. That's why when I was out of a job for two months, 15, 20 years ago, I was miserable. Just needed something to do. I don't know who I am when I'm not working. We have a church full of dudes. That's why we have a bunch of guys because a bunch of guys work. It's part of who we are. It's a part of how we were made. Let, let me just help you understand as we read it from the Bible, this was given to us as a gift, not a curse. It gets cursed in chapter 3. It comes hard, but we were made to work. It's why a guy can be really tempted to work too long because there's so much fulfillment even. Even when it got hard, we still enjoy our work. So if you're not working, 
Oh, you got to go get a job, right? Let me read you a verse so it'll really hurt. All right, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, I can quote it because I know it. 1 Timothy, at least in a paraphrase verse, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says that uh, if you don't work, you're worse than an infidel. That is a very loose translation. But those who don't care for their own relatives, especially those of their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than an infidel, than unbelievers. Oh, it is our job to provide. It's, it was placed in us all the way from creation. Check out the next verse. I think it's great for our society. A widow who was put on the list for support. So back in the early days of the church, they, they took care of ladies. They took care of ladies uh, when they were in need. Must be at least 60 years old and faithful to her husband. She must be well-respected by everyone because of the good she has done. Has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers and served other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are, who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? What's always true on a, on a subject like this where I'm busting on the guys to be providers, we have a, always in our room a ton of single moms. I want you to feel a hug from me and everybody in this group going to give you a hug when we're done if they'll remember for being providers for your family. We're proud of you. Appreciate you stepping up and handling business that maybe should have been held, handled by somebody else. We appreciate you. It is a struggle to do alone. It's a struggle to do together these days, a husband and a wife. But many of y'all just get it done. Get up every morning and go to work. Come home and lead your, and feed your family. And it is impressive. So thank you. That's really what this verse is saying. I mean, you don't have really have a choice. That's one of the things that makes you so great is that you rise even through the difficulty. And I know some of you, I know your children. And some of y'all just get it done despite the difficulty. Thank you. So we got to provide, dudes. There's this deep responsibility that's kind of in us. We, we know it's there. It doesn't really matter where I make more money or Cheryl makes more money. That's not what this is about. It's not about who makes more money at the house. It's, it's this deep understanding that if at the end of all, if I got to work five jobs, then I'm working them because I got to find a way for this family. It's my job. It's on me at the end. Cheryl doesn't have to carry that same pressure based on the Scripture. We'll get into that more as we go. But, but nonetheless, it is my job to provide, and not only to provide like this, but to provide in such a way that the family thrives. That's not about how big your house is or how pretty it is. It's about the people and what they look like. It's not about the shoes that they're wearing. It's not about their clothing. It's about their souls. I use this word often for guys. We talk about it. Ladies, if you've never sat with us, we, we use a word called provision. That it is my job for the Reeves household to protect the vision. It's a vision that Cheryl and I really came up with together. It's a, a picture. I always call it a picture on my wall. And in the early days, it was a mentor that I had in college that I watched. I watched his family. His wife loved him, and his kids behaved, and they loved him. And so I kind of have a picture of Keith and Betty Leverance, 
and, and their three kids, and I started even in my 20s. I'm like, that's what I want to be. I want to be that. Now, as the years went on, we made adjustments, and, and I do some things different than Keith did. But what I wanted it bad enough so I got all the information I could so that I could provide a vision for my home. Cheryl and I worked through it together. We were a team in establishing it. Cheryl makes 90% of the decisions in this picture. Like, we're, we're looking at buying a house. I will care zero about what color the walls are or where stuff is. I just don't care. But when it comes to affecting this vision, if it affects the vision of where we're going as a family, then I'll raise my flag and say, wait a minute, well, let's talk about that. That's what we're expected to do. It gives, Cheryl would say that that actually gives her safety. And she most days loves it couple days she does. Then I really got to be a man, right? What about you? You got a vision for your family? Leverance. He used to say you got to hug a lot and spank a lot. I kind of spanking came easy to me. I don't know why. That was just easy. And so uh, we, we disciplined our kids. But I didn't know how to hug. I'm still not very good at it. I was at the funeral yesterday. It seemed like I should hug my dad. I reached out to hug him. He went side hug on me, and he didn't want no part of bumping chest, right? He just saw this. But Leverance taught me how to hold my kids. I watched him hold his kids. One of my favorite pictures, my son who's away in college, uh, there's a picture of him. He's all chubby, and he's sitting on my lap, and he's asleep, and I'm holding him, and I'm giving him the affection that he needs. I'm hugging a lot, and I got that butt a few times too, right? Like, like, I loved him. He used to, Elijah used to almost need discipline. It was like he was calling out for it. And then you discipline him like he's the happiest kid in the world. He was miserable until I got him. And then other times, he would just come and sit on my lap. This is one of, I got a bunch of, one of the, the joys of that, man. They're trying to take this from me. The enemy's trying to take the joy of my life away doesn't want me to enjoy this, this effort to be a man. But we got to fight back. Leverance made his boys work. So that became uh, a mantra for the Reeves. I still remember, I've told this story, I think at White Knoll, but we're moving and a bunch of high school kids help, came to help, and none of them knew how to work, and it made me furious. I only had one son with me, and we did all the work. I fed them pizza and Coke. They did nothing. So my son is, like, keeping me from them so that I do not go at them. So we, we load the truck, me and him by ourselves, and we drive to where the rest of the family is, and we start unloading the truck, and Cheryl has given them this lecture, and I got boys lined up in the yard, and they went to work, boy. That's my family. That's our vision. We unload that truck an hour and 15 minutes, and I was like, that's, that's the Reeves. Today is Malachi Reeves' birthday. He's 14. He gets a flip phone today. We're going to Verizon. <laughs> It won't be able to text. So if you, if you know him, don't text him. It won't come back. <laughs> but it will call. He's the only one, right? He's the only one. Yeah, he's the only one, boy. That's my boy. He's the only one. He ain't like everybody else. I ever let a bunch of little middle school kids tell me how to leave my family? This is my family. When I get to the judgment seat of Christ, I'm going to stand before God the Father, and I'm going to be held accountable for how I led these rascals. Well, I'm going to let a 14-year-old tell me how to leave my family. So I'm protecting that boy. I got college boys that use flip phones. They do text. But I, I got college boys. Use, Andrew Luck's making $150 million. He got a flip phone. I guess we can. Right? Went to Stanford. I guess you can survive. 
That don't mean it's what you got to do, right? I'm not like telling you what you got to do. Every kid in the room is really nervous right now. <laughs> it's just what I do. It's my family. I'm responsible. I take it serious and personal. I'm not, the school's not going to tell me how to do it. At the end of the day, my kids' education is all on me. You sports, sure enough, not going to tell me how to do it. If my kid's late for practice because we're going to eat together, then so be it. They're my family. We need a couple guys that have a little passion about this thing. That's why we did this little devotion guide, family uh, discipleship guide that you can take home. So because for some of us, this is brand new, and we get that. It's intimidating to lead our family toward the Lord at a table. So we gave you this little guide. You can grab one if there's any left, or we'll, sn we'll snag another one. It's a great opportunity for a guy or a mom to sit with their family around the table and establish vision just by teaching the basics about God. Let me just tell you something. The dinner table has made a ton of hay for the Reeves, so fight for that dinner table, even if it's just a night or two a week. When the kids were young, we always had them around the dinner table. It was a time for me to monitor and manage where our family was. It was great. Restaurants don't work, especially with five boys. You go to Sheely's, ain't nobody listening, right? They're focused on barbecue. So uh, it, it just, it's this great time to sit with the family. Bedtimes are great. If you've got little kids, bedtime is this great time where you can go tell them a story. They don't know the stories. Just tell them the basic stories from the Bible, maybe the ones you learned as a kid, or read a little bit so you can tell the story. I used to put my head on their forehead in the bed and pray over. I want them to feel my presence. They want to steal this stuff from me. The enemy does not want me to be able to be a man. Somebody's got to stand up and fight and not let him run over us. Riding the car is awesome because good doesn't work in the car, right? Like, how's school good? Uh, well, who's your best friend at school? Good, I mean, good doesn't work. It's in the car. They're trapped. It's just me and them. I can ask questions, and they got to an answer. And it just, it's this great time for me to build culture. We need some guys to do it. Hey, we might be just a few, but that's what we're about here. We're going to put up a fight, even if it's an up uphill battle. Let me just read a couple more and I'll be done. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I actually skipped a little bit. I, I, it's really cool where he actually says, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Let, let me just say something really clear from that, that little phrase. First, he gives us the responsibility to cultivate, to make stuff thrive around us. But then he puts us under authority. It's as if every country song wants to get us out from under authority and move to Mexico and be miserable trying to serve ourselves. As opposed to cultivating what we got and staying under authority, whether it be your boss, whether it be the elders of this church, or whether it be God Almighty. We were designed to be under authority. It's where we're healthy. It's where we thrive. And he says, and then the Lord and the Lord continues to give. Uh, it is not good for a man to be alone. Finally, ladies, we needed y'all. I will make a helper who is just right for him. You can imagine Adam getting excited. And then verse 19, so the Lord God formed from the ground the wild animals. <laughs> you go, wait a minute. I thought I was about to get a helper. Some of y'all think it was a game cock or a tiger, and that was like your wife, right? Because that was your help meeting. You're, anyway, um, <laughs> you're the 55-year-old that chases the game cock bus around the... That's embarrassing, dude. <laughs> All right. There's a bunch of boys on the bus. Anyway, um, 
He's saying uh, that he created all the animals and birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. <laughs> Where did aardvark come from, right? <laughs> it came from the dudes in this room. That explains something, right? This giraffe. How did he come up with that long neck? I wonder if it's giraffe. I'm American. I think they spoke English in the Old Testament. I mean, it's probably Hebrew or something. I don't know. But there's this responsibility God put on men to name it, to take responsibility. So today, fellas, I'm just reminding you and reminding myself that we were positioned, Tony Evans says, that a man was positioned to be the hero or the goat from the very beginning. We need some guys that are willing to name something. Or we're going to end up on our deathbed with nothing but regret. It seems as if the enemy wants to keep our minds spinning with one thing or another, trying to discover who we are. It starts with this, this gender conversation we had at the beginning, but it can just be stuff where we got to have more stuff to be happy. And he just wants to keep us spinning so that we won't name anything important. We named this church Radius on purpose because we we're hoping that men and women would name people in their radius and pray with all their hearts that they would believe. Lord Kesey sitting over here. She's got some dominoes with names of people on them that she's prayed for through the years. There's a variety of people that I can point out around the room that have named the people in there. You might be one of them. That might be why you're here today because they've been praying for you because they got something deep to give. And, and, fellas, the guys in the room that have handled their business, they have margin so that they can be generous. So they got time to pray for other people. they got a place in their home for other people. They've got cash for other people. It's just a part of our lives. When we lead our families well, we can extend to all those folks around us. If you're a single guy in the room, here's what's beautiful. This whole passage has been about a single guy, right? He's like, I can't do anything, man. I don't have a woman yet. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Guess like New Testament, kind of two famous New Testament guys. One of them's named Jesus. Single guy until he's 33, right? He got a couple things done in life. Another guy named Paul, he wrote 13 books of the New Testament. I guess he wasn't playing Xbox all the time. <laughs> Too busy writing books to lead us still today. There's this incredible opportunity as a young single guy to take your life and make it count. You probably got more time than you'll ever have. It's this great opportunity to form up who you're going to be and prepare for the future. We need you, boy. We need you. A little homework, and I'm almost done. Go home and have one real conversation about your provision. If you're married, sit with your wife and have it. It doesn't matter if it's your second wife. It's the same conversation. Let's start where we are today. Don't, it's not about regretting the past. It's about starting where we are today and having this conversation. Where are we going as a family? If you're a single mom, find somebody that you could have this conversation with. We, we, we would love to stand with you as you have a vision for your family, this picture on the wall. If you're a single guy, you're yet to be married, you're a young guy, it's time to start thinking and looking for somebody in this room or another room that you could model your life after. Get some time with them. That's worth your money to get in their presence to see what they do. Have one conversation. Uh, last time I did this, I did this at White Knoll about two or three years ago. I, I gave the challenge. And a guy in his 40s 
went home with his wife, good, already good father and husband, and uh, had this conversation with his wife. He, we met for breakfast later that week, and uh, he just, he was shocked at how good it was to just sit there and talk about where their family was going. Saturday, uh, yesterday, I went to a funeral. Mr. Tom Herbster, 74, had pancreatic cancer. He had, uh, once they identified, he had eight weeks, and he was gone. Uh, I knew Mr. Tom when he was in his 30s, and I was six or seven or eight, somewhere in there. His son and I played baseball together. And he came to a Bible study at my house. My dad led a Bible study. And somewhere in, that, in his mid-30s, Mr. Tom gave his life to Jesus. One of the great lines he gave when he was in his mid-30s was, how does anybody not believe this? This is such good news. And he believed, and then his wife believed, and then he began to lead his family like he hadn't before. Their, their marriage has not been perfect. They've been separated. They've had their moments. But he began to become passionate about taking his family down a road. So I'm at his funeral, and the, the preacher's up on the stage, and they actually have two preachers and the mayor to come. This working, working guy, his whole family sitting right over here, and they just keep looking at him. And I'm, I'm, I'm listening to the story because I only knew him when I was young, and I'm listening to the stories that they tell about Tom Herbster, and they keep looking at the family because the family is so endeared to Pap, granddad. And the stories were amazing. He, uh, he didn't have a college education. And so evidently somewhere in there, he decided to go back to college just before you could do it online. So each of his three kids had to go to college. That was his vision for the family. And they laughed about how serious he says, and they had to get it done in four years, which would have challenged one of mine. But anyway, they had to get it done in four years, and, and, and they all just embraced it. And then, then what was cool, he took, took his eyes off the family, the preacher did, and he looked out. And evidently there were four or five other people in the crowd that Tom Herbster had sent to college as well. He paid their way. <laughs> One of the things that was funny, he said there was a lot of red tape with him paying away because he would call them and ask them what their grades were all the time. Like he was on it because he had vision. He did not want his life not to mean anything. Toward the end, they would tell stories about this refrigerator they had in the garage. I'm like, what are they talking about? Evidently, kids from the high school would leave Westside High School in Anderson and come to his house, and he would feed 15 kids every day, which they're probably sneaking out of school. I don't think Mr. Tom played by all the rules, but he's taking care of kids at the school in his kitchen in his 70s because he wanted his life to count because this Savior in his 30s saved him. And so he just kept digging all the way to the grave. At the very end, uh, the kids were talking about he called each one of them in. And uh, he had a conversation with all six of his grandkids and all three kids. And, and the oldest grandkid, it was hilarious. They're, they're telling about what he told them. And evidently, it took hours. This is the last day of his life. He just wanted to give them their last instructions. And the oldest grandkid's in college, and he said, I will come back to haunt you. If you don't finish college, I like them. You talk about a closer. This mug is closing. The kids came across the stage, and they had this variety of stories. It was just beautiful how he was going to finish all the way to the end. Then his wife came up, which was just a tearjerker. And she said, uh, she said, like two weeks before he died, he insisted that they buy a king-size bed. <laughs> right? 
He insisted that they buy a king-size bed, and he had it delivered. He was going to finish, and he said, she said, I'm going to bed tonight on my king-size bed without my king. It was beautiful. And then she looked over at a guy named Jason right over here. I said, Jason, you know what you got to do. Evidently, on his deathbed, he calls Jason. He says, Jason, I need you to make a headboard for my wife for that king-size bed. He finished. He finished. We need a couple guys that finish. It's a long ride. It's intimidating. I'm intimidated by it. Some of y'all may have a, a stack of mess coming in here today. That's all right. We're going to start today. And we can fight for this together and change our radius. We worship a finisher. Jesus, we've celebrated. We read the whole book of John. The reason we believe is because that man was not a better man. Everybody in here is trying to be a better man. He was a perfect man, also God. He came on a mission and he would not stop until his blood was flowing down that cross so that he could save our souls. That's who we follow. Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you. We're thrilled to be called one of yours. So thankful to call your dad my dad. I appreciate the men in this room, Lord. For one, they're just brave just to be here and sit and listen. Help us process this week. Lord, push us. Push us to be better. Help us push one another. Show us how. I know I got some guys in here who never prayed out loud, and that scares the hound out of them, Lord. I pray you just help them work through it. Help them ask somebody to help them. Some of uh, have no idea what to do at that dinner table. I don't want them to feel less than because of that as they walk out the door, but just determined to grow and learn how. Teach us, Lord. Grow us. Lord, thank you for giving us this responsibility to cultivate. Help us get it done right. Love you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. This audio is provided as a free ministry of Radius Church. If you would like to reproduce this audio, please feel free to do so. We ask that you do not charge for any reproductions that you make. If you would like to know more about Radius, please visit us online at radiuschurch.org or download our app from your app store.